Hey guys, welcome to another COVID special, episode six, with um, your hosts, Matt Slarchik and Peter Fendero. Peter, how are you doing today on this COVID special? I am doing mighty fine, except I'm having some cell phone problems. This iPhone keeps telling me I don't have enough storage, which is false because I keep deleting videos and I keep deleting photos and my memory is still decreasing somehow. So something's going on here, dude. Balbazar was right about everything. It's, it's those um, iPhone shenanigans, man, where they're decreasing your memory and, you know, making you upgrade another iPhone. I know it could be a conspiracy, but it's actually fact. And um, the European Union actually sued Apple for that, for slowing down, down cell phones. So you might be experiencing that right now. I mean, my phone speed-wise is good. It's just somehow I keep deleting stuff and somehow my memory just keeps getting more full and I don't understand. Well, I think they're trying to sucker me into buying some more storage. I ain't paying $10 a month for more storage. Nope. I gave my $2 a month. That's it. That's, that's how I feel, man. And somehow we still have the COVID outbreak. So how are the, how's that going? What's up with the stats? COVID, man, it's still looming large. So current stats, USA has the most cases out of everybody. I'm sure you guys all know we have a little bit over a million with 68,000 deaths. Might be a little bit more today. But we do have a lot of recoveries, about 180K recoveries. New York is still leading the case, case low with over 300K. Then we got New Jersey with 127, Massachusetts, and then Illinois surpassed California a few days ago. So Illinois has 61K roughly. California is about 55. So looks like you guys are doing better than us. And you guys are doing better than us because Matt is in California. If he was in Illinois, he'd be here fighting COVID. So that's why California is, has less cases because COVID's scared of, of Matt. So if he was here in Illinois, we'd probably have half the cases. <laughs> yeah, California definitely recruited me. It's actually interesting because California is actually doing a pretty great job when it comes to the amount of people that they have cases and all that and um, they're actually opening up phase two I think this Friday whenever this episode airs so it's going to be like May 6th 7th whatever Friday is so they're doing a really good job man but they're going to open up like essential businesses like flower shops uh, mini stores the low risk businesses so still not a lot of restaurants and um, no bars unfortunately so no drinking yeah, Illinois hasn't op- hasn't even started phase one yet. We're still close to the to the end of May. And then we'll, we'll go from there. The word on the street is that our governor is trying to pay off our debt with these coronavirus cases because supposedly he's getting paid like thirty three k or thirty k per COVID case. So he's probably racking up on that and trying to pay off his debt, which probably isn't the most ethical thing. But you know, I guess he's the governor, so let him do his thing. But I could be wrong. Whatever. He's I'm a bit. He is a businessman, so I do believe it because people that don't know Illinois is a freaking sinkhole when it comes to debt. I think even Trump was talking shit about that state. So um, this is a great way to get more reimbursement money back into the you know state of Illinois when they keep telling you know the hospitals, hey, you know case positive, case positive for COVID, and they're racking up that cash. Which I mean, really- if that if there is a plan, it doesn't really maybe make sense to him or other people, but it doesn't really make sense to me because. Even if you're paying off the, the state or city's debt, like people are going to go into debt the longer you keep everything closed, you know? So it's like, it's like he's trying to, if that is his plan, it's like he's trying to pay off the, this debt, but then a long term, we're going to still be in debt because you're going to need to back up, uh, back up these businesses that are going to go under because it keeps getting closed. But I know Indiana is slowly opening up. I think they're planning on opening up gyms and different kind of, places, fitness centers, things like that with obviously half capacity. I think it, it, it had been made. That's our plan for Indiana is to open up fitness centers, but with not full capacity though. But so they're, they're definitely 
in that phase one, phase two kind of thing. I definitely want to talk about the, you know, the risk and the benefits of having like businesses close and open. Well, let's leave that towards the end because right now let's get into some facts. So people that like listen to us, you know, that we always have evidence-based studies for COVID. There wasn't anything. And finally, we have an international trial that was randomly tested on um, remdesivir versus a placebo. So I've seen it myself. I hung this medication in the ICU. Basically, you know, the family gets consent for this trial and you might get the drug, you might not get the drug. So no one knows if you're getting a placebo, not even the intensivists, only the people that are running the study. So they finally came up with some numbers after getting 1,063 people. So 1,063, that's a, that's, a that's, a, that's a decent sample size. I'm not going to lie. That's solid. Yeah. When it comes to people, you know, a thousand's a lot. I mean, when it comes to rats, probably not a lot. You could probably get hundreds or tens of thousands of those. But when it comes to humans, thousands of top-notch sample size right there. <laughs> and uh, with the medium, they basically had a 43%, if I'm not mistaken, I'm trying to read the facts here. Um, so time of recovery uh, with remdesivir was 11 days compared to the placebo, which was 15 days. And these are the patients that recovered from COVID that got the, the trials that were discharged home. So it seems like there's a 43% effectiveness um, speed of recovery when it comes to recovering from COVID when you're giving this um, remdesivir. Respect. That's not bad. So, yeah. So like with the, the whole thing with the, uh, with the um, hydrochloroquine, like that was shown to be beneficial in the beginning, but then people started getting a lot of cardiac issues that kind of has been shown to have no benefit. So we'll see what this remdesivir does. Like it could come out to to be in the next like you know month, two weeks, three weeks that this might not be as effective as we thought, but like it's a it's a new disease, it's a new illness, so it's a trial by error basis. We're gonna keep trying different drugs. We're gonna see which ones work. When we find out that it doesn't work, we're gonna stop doing that and move on to the next thing. So this is just like kind of the typical way we manage and treat diseases, especially new ones. We just trial and error. Try one drug. It's, it seems to work. Let's keep doing it. Then it kind of stops working or we keep doing these trials and it just shows not to be beneficial. Move on to the next thing. But this remdesivir is, is actually been shown to be the best out of everything so far, even better than hydrochloroquine, which we know has a lot of cardiac issues that we don't really use very often. We stopped using that in our hospital probably like a solid three weeks ago. Interesting. I wanted to correct myself actually. So I'm looking back at the research study um, remdesivir speeds up recovery by 31%, not 43%. So I wanted to, you know, for the public out there, I wanted to correct myself. So nobody attacks me on Instagram, like, yo, Matt, you're freaking lying about your facts. Well, this was released uh, April 29th. So here we go. 31%. Yeah, and that's solid. yeah, that's, it still works, man. It's, mm. it seems beneficial. I think whoever is into stocks, I think the company is called GI lead. So check out. I think it's Gilead. 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 That's what it is. Yeah. Okay. I'm just making a bunch of errors today. Uh, make sure you invest in that stock because it seems very profitable. Once an international study like that comes up, people are going to be asking for that drug. Or, or it could already be priced in. So you might be paying a premium. I haven't looked at it, but you guys want to take a look. I'm not sure what, what it is right now. If it's like a three-month high, it might have been already priced in, you know? So yeah, buyer, buyer beware. I also like um, the convalescent plasma therapy. I don't think there's any studies on it yet, but I've... We've been giving it in our hospital and it seems to be pretty effective when it comes to recoveries from what the intensivists say. And for those that don't know, basically 
like plasma is like one of the largest components of blood. It makes up 55% of your blood. It's made out of water, salts, enzymes, proteins, and the antibodies. And that's what we really want. So if somebody has COVID, they create antibodies and your body already technically has a memory book of an immune system to fight off this disease. And when you go, when, when we have those healthy people, we take their plasma, extract it, and we literally give a bag of plasma IV into their blood. And it seems to have improvements because you're technically giving the weapons of somebody else's immune system to that person's immune system to fight off COVID. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing what the you know studies are going to show in the next week or two if we could find something and you know present it to the people that are listening. Right, a good way to like remember antibodies is like antibiotics. Like you give antibiotics to fight infections, you give antibodies to fight off infections. And yeah, it's basically like like when you have an infant and you breastfeed the infant, you know the mother's immune system gets passed through you know the breast milk and the baby develops immunity to to certain illnesses that's able to fight off things better the breast milk because you, you get a good source of of um antibodies but before we hmm? excuse me not nothing man i was gonna start talking about babies and birth and blood brain barrier but i don't know all my facts there so i'm gonna hold myself there but we Respect. can talk about births and the pandemic which is interesting because uh when i was you know checking temperatures in front of the um the entrance doors for a hospital i think only one person could go in for a mother that's giving birth and they have to be, of course, symptom-free. So if they have a temperature, there was one guy that had a temperature, he couldn't go in. His wife, he, he had to leave his wife behind to go give birth alone because we couldn't let him in, man. It's crazy. Yeah, my buddy's brother, uh, his wife had a kid today, and he was only allowed to be there. Nobody, nobody else was allowed. So they only allow like one visitor, that being the, the husband or the, you know, the father of the, of the kid. So they're, they're, they're very strict. Of course, like we're very strict on our unit. Like we don't allow anybody to come unless there's like a person passing away where it's critically that we, that we allow somebody and we only allow one person. If that, if that, some people, you know, they're, I know it's, it's hard to say because some people don't want to come even though the loved one passes away because they're kind of scared to catch it. That's, that's understandable. That's, that's okay. But for right now, hospital-wise, they're very strict on, on guests and on, on visitors. Yeah, man. But before, we, but before we move forward, let me just touch upon how, um, Remdesivir kind of kind of works. I'll just do a quick little little synopsis. So the way Remdesivir works is that it inhibits the replication of COVID's RNA because COVID is an RNA-based virus. So Remdesivir actually mimics one of the building blocks of, of RNA. And since it mimics it, it prevents that building block from working properly. And that's what kind of inhibits the replication of, of the COVID-19. I'm not going to go into the specific names of the nucleotides or the specific details and names of that because I myself don't understand it, but that's the basic gist of it is that it just prevents RNA replication of the COVID-19 virus. It's freaking man. so cool that works, man. So cool. I, lo I love it. Um, like, like imagine like, imagine being a person that kind of discovers that like, hey, you know, we could just stop replication via this mechanism. Like, like people are like, so intelligent and so smart that they could just look at a microscope or or not even look at a microscope they could kind of imagine these mechanisms kind of working because you can't really really see these you know you kind of just have to guesstimate and estimate how this mechanism works you know because these are tiny bits these aren't cells or or portions of cells these are the actual dna makeup of the cell 
I mean, there's there's people that dedicate their whole life to be a virologist. Is that what it's mm-hmm. called? And they just study the process of the virus and how it replicates and, you know, this non-living organism technically, right? Like gene editing, like how do you figure out where these genes are going to implement themselves, implement themselves on like the RNA strain or, or, or DNA sequence? Like that's like, that's like impossible for me to imagine how people figure that out. I think what blew my mind was epigenetics, man. Once like we started figuring out that, you know, we thought we were born with genes and genes were passed on and you have diabetes. So you're going to get diabetes because of those genes, but there's something called epigenetics. And they finally figured out that, Hey, your genes turn on and off through the process called auto-regulation and they turn off based on your environment. So if you're sleeping five hours a day and drinking a six pack of beer, that that lifestyle is going to turn off specific genes that are going to make you more susceptible to live, uh, liver cancer, whatever the case might be. It's, it's fascinating, man. We're learning so much, man. I think even like looking, you know, how we like research show notes and things like that, like just looking on the internet, researching how they're, they're saying that, Hey, whatever things happen in geography, this might've happened 200 million years ago. And like, things are constantly like changing. So like whatever we learned in history books, like, it, it might not be a fact in the next 10 years. Like we have to constantly rewrite history and history books and science. And man, that's why we are the cup of nurses podcast, right? We're just going to continue giving you guys this information that we just learn and share as fast as we can. We're trying to upload it into our brains, you know? Yeah, dude. Like I, I see myself as a fairly intelligent individual and uh, I see you as a fairly indiv- uh, intelligent individual. And we understand Thanks, that, that these, that these concepts exist. And we know about gene editing, mutations, you know, heredity, comorbidities, and how genes are passed from one person to another, alleles, all that. But there's people out there that actually know these damn mechanisms on how to actually do this. And like, they all know all these abbreviations. They know if you, you know, express this gene, this is going to cause a cascade of these events, which is then going to cause you to have these color eyes. And since you have these kind of color eyes, you have these genes, which is not an expression for this. Like, it's like mind blowing. Like we, we know just like these little, these little, little uh, categories of things, but they know like these subcategories of things, which is, which is insane, man. Like, yeah, DNA sequencing, basically. Yeah. And there's another drug that we're testing as well that we are giving um, as, you know, drug trials in the hospital. And it doesn't even have a name yet. It has a patent number. So it's a specific lab that makes it. And there's like freaking 12-digit barcode of what that is. And that's it. Um, and right now what they're testing is they're testing that cytokine storm that we talk, talk a lot about. And that's like the main thing that's killing people, you know, with COVID is the cascade of, um, creating so much inflammation where your body's attacking itself. So that drug is trying to work on that mechanism, which is interesting. So more updates on that in the coming future of, you know, what, what that drug will be and what it does. Yeah. I know the main issue with Redenosphere, Redenosphere, I was listening to, uh, Trump talk on it with, with Fox News. I think it was on, on Sunday or or whenever he, he did that. But the main issue with remdesivir is that we don't have a lot of it, and it's very hard to produce compared to uh, hydroxychloroquine, where that was kind of a lot easier to produce. We had a lot of it. This one is a lot harder to produce, so we might not see it, you know, available nationwide and for each patient. But they're trying to work on some kind of derivative or something similar. And mechanism of action to it so we'll see how how that takes place but well, real quick now i remember trump predicted that they're going to have a vaccine for COVID 19 by the end of the year so we'll see um how that works because like interesting because like you know we had the flu vaccine 
we passed the flu vaccine off last year's strain of flu, hoping that that's going to be the strain that comes back. I wonder how it's going to work with COVID-19, if, it's, if it mutates or if it's, or is it currently mutating? How many times does it mutate? Does it mutate as quickly as, as, as influenza? Because influenza mutates a lot. There's so many trains of influenza, you know? And like how effective this vaccine is going to be on each strain of COVID-19. You know, it's whatever, whatever replicates three times and we have a vaccine for one and that vaccine only works on one strain and, it com- and shows that it's completely ineffective on other strains. Like that, you know that's an I- issue that could arise as well. You know what I also wonder because a virus is non-living, so it's hard to study. I'm, I'm sure there's mechanisms that I'm not aware of, but you know how we give antibiotics and we have MRSA, which is multi-resistant um, strains of bacteria to antibiotics. I wonder if a virus could develop like immunity to a specific vaccine that we give it and it could become resistant. Like imagine if sure. that's because you know how Bill Gates warns us that the next you know thing is mi- the micro biological warfare like imagine if we're going to have resistant viruses to the treatments that we're trying to give these viruses like mm-hmm. you never know man a virus is mutating and it could get smart unless it's simple where it can't do that i'm not too sure but those are just ideas that are running through my head yeah does the virus have an immune system do you know i, I mean know. i could i could start looking it up right now but i'd be you maybe know, next episode on the keyboard yeah because i know um bacteria like a single cell bacteria does have its own immune system but it's more g- genetically, um, like it's more of an immune system, not where, like it's ours, where we release different immune cells. They have more of a genetic kind of uh, immune system. It's interesting you know? because- And it's the whole Cas9 system. You know, CRISPR-Cas9, that's all based on the immune system of a bacteria. Because the way bacteria fights infection is it fights infection on the, the genetic levels and the DNA and RNA level compared to us where we fight it off on a cellular level. That's where CRISPR-Cas9 comes from. It's all based off of uh, bacteria's immune system. You are right, because CRISPR, which was a mechanism for bacteria, they could destroy a virus technically, right? By cutting some kind of strain of DNA. Yeah. Fudge, man. I want to say fudge because I want to swear. That is just so damn cool. And also, when we had Ricky on, and this is a podcast interview, I don't know what episode, but we had a... immunologist on it he does cancer research and he even talks about that cancer cells get so smart where they they almost like cloak themselves in the body and when your white blood cells is circulating around it fakes that it's it's a healthy cell and the white blood cell just keeps on strolling you know like it's freaking even cancer mutates and has its own mechanisms of defense so yeah i'm sure we might run into problems in the future with this oh yeah we'll see if we see where it progresses and i'm sure this, you know, there's some definitely smart people out there that are working on these ideas. Because I'm sure if we have these ideas, I'm sure somebody else out there has the same ideas or similar. Because if they don't, then um, we are up for hire. And I'm definitely excited as our show gets like larger. I wouldn't mind having these cool ass people on the show and just just talk with them, man. Because yeah. and, and that's the future we're striving for. We just need a larger audience. And eventually that could happen. So if you guys are listening, share, like, subscribe, all that good stuff. And um when it comes to the shutdown, what is your viewpoint on that? Do you think it's beneficial? Because, and I'll, and I'll leave this um, open-ended question. Like, look what's happening. Amazon, Netflix, all these big companies, Microsoft, they're freaking, their profit margins are through the roof right now. They're making money off this. And then you compare, compare this to small businesses where small businesses are shutting down. They're not going to be able to sustain. Those little loans aren't going to do shit for them. And they're going to file for bankruptcy, close. 
So if you think about this, this is such an economic tool for big businesses where they're just going to freaking take out the weeds on these small businesses. So if we thought capitalism was bad, it's going to get freaking worse because right now, now there was, you know, 10,000 competition. Now the competition is down to, you know, 3,000 and you got all the big sharks just freaking consuming companies and businesses, man. Yeah. With every good catastrophe, there's a, there's a good way to make money. You know, think about all the people that, that don't use Amazon and now they're forced to use Amazon. You know, I guarantee there's a lot of old people that prefer to go in store, feel the good, feel the item and then buy it that way. Now they can't do that. So the only option of buying is Amazon and Amazon is so easy for you to, for you to use, for you to buy. That's going to get like neurologically, neuro, neurologically implemented into their brain. Like I buy more stuff on Amazon than I do in stores. You know, I'm sure a lot of people could, could agree with that. But like my thing with like reopening, I feel like the, the news, news gives you the option of A, reopen everything at the same time or B, keep everything closed at the same time. Like, I feel like the media doesn't portray any kind of middle ground. Like for me, there's no reason to say, no, we cannot open up certain areas of the, of the country because certain areas aren't affected as, as harshly. Like even here in Illinois, if you go to Southern, Southern, Southern Illinois, it's not affected very harshly. Why can't we just open up certain things like that? Like certain states could, could slowly start opening up things. Certain states are going to open up quicker than, than others, but they're still going to open up. There, there's no reason for us to be, to swing to one section where it's keep everything closed and the other section where it's keep everything open. Like there has to be some like, like middle ground. There's middle ground and everything. And that's where I feel like the majority of the population is. They're in the middle. But, you know, our media portrays it as either this or that. And it's never black and white. Everything is always great. You know, it's, there's nothing politics to anything else, just to COVID-19. There's always middle ground. That's where majority of people stay is in the middle. Because you could have a change of viewpoint. You could be proven wrong and, you, and you're okay with being proven wrong. People show you facts, you change your opinion, and that's completely fine. It's not just left and right all the time, man. So I feel like things should slowly open up. I think it should be up to the governors, to the states, to see how things are going in, in their state and kind of pick counties, pick districts that are okay to open up slowly. There's no reason for us to keep everything closed because what I was thinking when yesterday when I was like kind of just hanging out is like, yeah, COVID-19 is going to kill a lot of people. And that sucks to say, but you have to also take into consideration like how many people closing the economy is going to hurt. Like Europe is, is on the brink of having possibly more people die from hunger and poverty than COVID-19 outbreak. Like, you know, you can only keep the economy closed for so long before, you know, people start running out of, out of food. Like manufacturers aren't, able, manufacturers aren't able to keep up with the food demand because of all these shutdowns, of all these closing and of all these restrictions. You know, so if you keep everything, everything closed for so long from these restrictions, it's affecting all industries. We all, but we all have to eat and we all have to, to do certain things to kind of function as individuals and function like as, as an economy, as, a, like a, as humans. You know, so you have, to, you have to weigh in the future issues with the current issues. So, but, but yeah, keep it short. I think we should slowly start opening appropriately stores op appropriately open up things that are not in a high risk area. Damn. I wanted you to keep talking, man. That was, that was some very good stuff. And that's, and that's also a problem with like the big governments is they try to kind of do too much. You know, I understand it's been two months and we're closed, right? That's okay. I, I respect that. We had to do social distancing and things like that, but yes, we can't continue for the sake of the greater good. 
technically we have to start opening up slowly or just like you said there has to be some medium roll out the phases open up the more important places of course close the bars and clubs down slip because they're not necessary and you know we have to kind of reestablish our economy man that's that's what it comes down to and i talked you know i talked about small businesses and that's what i don't like about big governments is they they try to control too much you know like stay home do this do that you can't go outside can't go to the beach okay two months passed people understand what the heck covid is now let people take that into their own um, own hands own risk if you're being a dumbass and you're staying close to people not wearing a mask and this is happening and you get covid well so be it yeah and like let's say you start reopening things near you if you're really stuck on if you really believe in that we should keep everything closed well then more power to you you know stay inside you have the right to keep doing what you're doing and just stay inside and unfortunately if you're 60 and above you know you're gonna take some extra precautions unfortunately this is virus has been shown to affect people that are six and above the hardest and the harshest and the greatest so when things even slowly reopen or even when everything is reopened like i would still recommend people that are 60 plus who take extra precautions like maybe you should decrease decrease your time in large crowds you know maybe you should if you're a person that goes to the mall every week maybe go to the mall bi-weekly you know kind of kind of just kind of not, I wouldn't say isolate yourself, but like separate yourself a little bit more than you would normally do. And if you guys don't believe in anything being reopened, then just, just stay home, you know, just, just stay home. It's, it's literally that easy. If you're super scared of being exposed to COVID, just stay home. Yeah, that's a very extremist thing. I also wanted to mention a thing. I wanted to talk about the protests, but I thought about one thing. And um, I, I walked through the ICU like two days ago and I see somebody with like their hands up in the air, like laying on their stomach, like as if they're like just chilling. And I kind of look back and I'm like, oh, dude, it's a guy that's not intubated and he's proned. So I think they're testing early pronation now where they're putting a high flow nasal cannula. Um, for those that don't know what a high flow nasal cannula is, it's basically humidified hot air blowing into your damn nostrils at a very high concentration to prevent people from getting intubated. It's, mm -hmm. it's, um, it's the last ditch effort before we have to put a breathing tube in your throat. And yeah, they've been um, doing that. They've been doing it last month in our hospital too. They've been doing like high flows with, with, with proning. So I'm, I'm actually curious to see what are the outcomes and how that's going to help. And that that's good, man. Cause you know, the intubating is no bueno. There's a lot of yeah. complications and then they don't wake up or um, anxiety. You know, once these patients have anxiety, like imagine waking up when you're already anxious and you got and you're breathing through a damn straw, like fudge, man. I could only imagine how that feels. Yeah, and I don't. ECMO has been proven to not be very effective either. So ECMO is is like not really that good of an option either. Dude, we have a lot of patients on ECMO, man. Like they're just twenty days, six days, seven days. There's people that got off it, but. Yeah, it's not it's not working. And supposedly COVID is also causing like micro clotting. Like some of these patients are like having like blood clots, bro. They're bleeding and just like DIC. DIC, or they're just clotting up micro where like their fingertips are purplish because they're they they have like these little little clots clots that we call them, and they're just clotting up not like the big calf muscle, but they're you know clogging yeah. up the um, fingertips and toes. Yeah. And they're throwing some, some pressers and that constricts it even more. It makes it even easier to clot up. Partially. Yeah. It's even, um, what was I going to say? We had a patient that I, I think I told you this, but I didn't tell you on air. 
where the intensivist was talking to another intensivist from a different hospital. They had brought a patient to get cannulated for ECMO and we couldn't take the patient because his BMI was way too high. So basically he was too obese to meet the guidelines to even be on ECMO, but the intensivist from the different hospital lied that he's five foot nine, but he was only five foot five. Damn. And that and that changed everything, yeah. Because there's international guidelines for if your BMI is above 40 or something, you are not going on ECMO because the chances of survival are like zero to none. So really? we should be we should be reserving ECMO to p- people that actually have a, a probability. Chance. Like, dude, it's it's a war zone, man. Like, we have to make tough decisions right now in the hospital, and not everybody could get that treatment based on the criteria. And we just it's triage basically. It's like it's like it's like war, dude. If if Peter is in the battlefield, is he gonna try to save a guy that has a gunshot wound to the arm or a guy that has three cut off limbs from a grenade explosion? Like, you're gonna try to save the guy that has the sh- bullet wound in the arm because the guy that's bleeding out from three extremities that are blown probably he's not going to make it in the next 15 minutes. So save the morphine, save the meds for a person that actually has a survival rate. It sounds, it sounds brutal, but that's war, you know, and that's what, that's what we're kind of facing in a way. It, even an intensivist said it like, we're going to make harder decisions. Meaning where I had a patient on high flow, basically I had to shut off the precedex and I had to transfer her out because we got to make room for somebody else. And I'm like, Hey doc, like she's freaking out. She's anxious. She's trying to rip off from ends. And he's like, that's okay. We're going to make t- tougher decisions in the next coming weeks. He told me like yeah. that a month ago. I'm like, yep, straight up, man. That's just how it is right now. Yeah, it's crazy to think about. Like, no one ever expected this to, to like come. You know, like, this is impossible to, to prepare for. Even, even um, look at, like, you know, we're FaceTiming a lot of patients and their family members. And, you know, we, we're holding this FaceTime device in front of a patient, in front of a family to a patient, we're showing them how they look intubated or they're smiling or talking and sometimes they're tricked and, you know, they're trying to make communication. And sometimes that might be the last time that we see them, you know, and sometimes I have a lot of humility in my role and I'm like, wow, I'm doing a lot of good things in my life because I'm literally, I'm holding a face on device, having two family members communicate. And it might be their last time talking and that has happened. It's crazy. And the next time that family member is going to see somebody is going to be, basically ashes because they're cremating these people you know like it's freaking nuts if you think about it so i mean i like see that's why our profession is like bs like we get underpaid the shit that we see i'm sure we have ptsd and nurses struggle with i'm sure mental disorders and we we don't get rewarded man we're always getting bent at the knee man yeah i mean we might now you know we're we're essentially based we're essentially you know treating these, these, these patients so if you think about it, medical field is the only field that's like fully functional right now yes you know not, nothing else is is, is actually fun, functioning at capacity that medical or, or nursing is so maybe you'll get some more bargaining rights more bragging rights or something but I, th- I think we probably will but i mean we'll see hopefully it's not one of those things where it's like over with i forgotten and it usually is peter just like with anything else um things come and go and also, it depends on the news, you know, like if you think about it, the American Hospital Association has more power than the American Nurses Association. So when they were trying to pass the ratios in, in Illinois, the American Hospital Association basically said, oh, we can't, hospitals can't afford this if we have state mandated ratios. And they never passed the law. So it all depends on who has the freaking bargaining chips when it comes to lobbying 
and making the rules for the government, you know? Right. And if they, they if can't afford it, but you know, those CEO CFOs get a nice bonus every year somehow, you know, yeah. somehow it just works out. So, somehow they're just, you know, increasing their salaries and things like that, which is, you know, BS. And that's what it comes down to, bro. And if you don't, and if it's not going to generate money, it's not going to be on the news. So that's just the way I see it. Like that's, I actually wanted to make a video about it today. Like let's look at a real pandemic that's going on. Freaking diabetes, hypertension, anxiety, ADHD, depression, suicide. Those are freaking pandemics that are happening in America, but they're freaking sugar-coated. They're watered down. No one knows really the big picture of what's going on. But what do we have on TV? Pills, 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 because that's creating freaking profit. And what are the doctors pushing? Prescription pills. And it's a freaking... Yeah, we're gonna get into a rabbit hole yeah. if we continue. But you can't, yeah. This, but, but you can't just like you can't just blame the corporations and and these uh, food manufacturers because like, I'm not. People also have a choice. I'm not. I'm not saying that like, like yeah, we could definitely put a limit on amount of sugar you could put in things. I'm I'm completely for that. I'm 100 for that limit. Limit the sugar. Limit the sugar industry. All that. But you also have to put some of the the responsibility on the on the individual. Yeah. So so you know? Peter, just to kind of bounce back on that one. When I say I don't believe in big government, I don't think that my government should tell me, hey, Matt, you can't buy a large drink anymore. We're getting rid of large drinks and McDonald's and all the fast food restaurants. I would get offended, right? Because you're taking away, you're stripping away my, my freedom to do things. So you are right. Everything should be away from the companies and it should be back to the person. The reason why these companies are making so much money because we're freaking fat, sick, and nearly dying. <laughs> I mean, I'd be completely okay if they said, hey, no more large drinks. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm completely for that. Like, I'm not a fan of big government either, but, like, I feel like if that's not... Well, see... That's not, that's not as much of a, like, a political thing as more of, like, a fact-based health thing. Okay, so, so let, me, let me give a different scenario because you don't buy large drinks. What if they tell you, hey, Peter, we're taking away all pre-workout products. No more pre-workouts because pre-workouts are causing death and way too high risk of caffeine. You'd be like, what the heck? Let me do what I want to do, right? You would get, you would get offended. Not no, that's offended. That's a comparison, though. Apples and oranges. Exactly, apples and oranges. So, But I'm just trying to, you know, I don't believe in the government taking mm-hmm. away things, basically. I, I think it should take some stuff away. But but not, like, like, like you said, apples to oranges. You know, apples to oranges, like, that's just the way it is. But I'm I'm not any proponent of big government and um this damn taxes to take out of my paycheck either. I ain't a big fan of that either. And there better not be any universal basic income either. I'm be upset if there's a universal basic income. Well, Actually, you know, I'm I'm kind of on the fence with with UBI with universal basic income. Hold, I'm, hold I'm on. on the fence. I'm on the fence. Hold on. Are we done with COVID? Now we're gonna t- randomly talk okay, about something okay. else. Oh, no, 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 we could respect. Let, people probably wanted to hear it. So let's talk about universal income. We're gonna wrap up the episode. Okay, for sure. So, like, if you if UBI wouldn't, I mean, UBI, like I said, I'm on the fence. Like, in one sense, it's good because everyone should have enough money to have a basic life. In basic life, as in enough money to be able to eat food and feed their family. Yeah, so know, the government that, should provide some resources for us as a yeah, baseline. As a baseline, but then anything greater than that, you're kind of taking out the ability or the want for somebody to be kind of successful. Yes. You know, that's my biggest dilemma is how much money 
is enough money to have everybody not be star not be starving starving and dying of poverty but how much money is too much money money that people kind of stop progressing as individuals and stop progressing stop progressing as a society because they're just comfortable where they are and they don't want to do anything else so a perfect you know? example perfect example is what we've seen in um, oakland right a huge gentrification a lot of homeless people and supposedly these homeless people are getting checks from the government for up to $800 a month. And when you look at these homeless people, they don't have an incentive to try to better themselves in life or, hey, I'm going to try to live somewhere, get a job, and I'm going to put away that 800 bucks and do something else. There's no incentive of wanting to achieve more. It's just, I'm just going to continue being a bum. I'm going to buy some fucking beer. Shit, I swore. Buy some cigarettes. You see them smoking or I'm going to buy a cell phone. And they just continue their life, right? There's no, there's no challenge of going outside your comfort zone and pursuing more. So you are right. Universal income would take that away. Yeah. And because like, if you think about it, like there's food stamps and there's unemployment benefits that you, you get. So that's kind of like, like UBI, but it's not universal. It's just for people that are, that are struggling. And I'm not sure how, how much people get paid for unemployment or food stamps. I'm not sure how that, that works. I'm not very familiar with that, but. But like there's, I believe there should be some kind of a baseline for somebody that, that people shouldn't be die of hunger. Basically, I'm trying to say. Yeah. And if you look at like Maslow's um, hierarchy, right? The Like you can't achieve other things, like look at values and other things if you don't have the baseline. So everyone should have a resource to freaking having a roof under their, you know, heads. Mm. The people shouldn't be sleeping outside in the streets. And we should have the ability to not worry about what are we going to eat tomorrow because we're starving. Yeah. Because if you eliminate those things, people could progress. And then also, yeah. this is not a topic for the podcast, but I really wanted to look, in, look into it. I think we need to strive for education. Mm-hmm. And, I, and, I, and that's cool because we're podcasting, we're educating people, right? I think if we, we arm people with education, so much more could happen. That's why a lot of these people are on streets and they don't know what to do because they lack education. Yeah. E- education... And, you know, just reinforcing the mind and power is just going to change people because they're going to know what to do. Right. Okay. Education is essentially prevention. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's and, like know, the one thing that I'm completely okay. If like majority of my tax dollars go to education, I'll be completely okay with that. You know, I could be completely okay. Make every school a great school. And I think that will, will go, will go further, but I guarantee most of our funding goes to the military, but topic for another day. Dude, straight. This is why we are creating a separate show called That Loud because we're going to talk about these kind of things that we're not going to talk about on the podcast, you know? So I think we're going to wrap this one up. So thank you guys for tuning in with um, Peter and I. We have a blast as always. Hopefully, you guys like this COVID episode. We'll do another one next week. And don't forget to share this with people that you love, that you like. Maybe they're your acquaintances, but give them a share anyways. Tell them to listen. We want to grow. We want to keep on growing and becoming better and innovating little products that we have. So give us much love. Give us those ratings, and we'll we'll see you guys next week. Yeah, guys. And actually, me and Matt are actually thinking about creating some masks that you guys, that you guys could buy. They're going to be cooler than your basic mask. So we'll see. You might have those coming soon. So if you want to support us in that way, get you a nice, nice mask, different variations. So... Yep. See you guys next week. See you guys in a few days. Make sure to tune in to Friday. We got a good episode every Friday and we're going to have better episodes on Patreon because we're going to be able to say what we want, when we want and where we want. Peace out guys. Peace. Peace.